0: Well, good morning and welcome. Uh, Let's start with a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we just praise you and we thank you for a new day and that we can come before you again um, and worship you and honor your name. So, God, we just thank you for the breath in our lungs uh, that you have uh, sustained us a new day. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you have forgiven us and that we can be called children of God and so, Lord, as we open up your word, uh, would you open up our hearts, God? Um, and, and as Paul's diving into some difficult stuff, um, just, just pointing out to us our, our separateness from you, our brokenness, and, and how much we do need a Savior, and that that Savior is Christ Jesus. So as we open up um, to, to Romans, Lord, uh, would you just uh, reveal yourself to us? Would you reveal that, Lord, you love us so? and that that's why you came, and that, Lord, we are broken and in need of your redemption. And so, God, would you challenge us? Would you encourage us? Um, Would we see you anew, and the wisdom of your word anew this morning? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing our series through Romans this morning, and we'll be finishing up Romans 1. Uh, We'll be looking at verses 18 through 32 this morning, and it's the beginning of Paul diving straight into the wrath of God against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And he will spend the next three uh, chapters destroying any notion that you or I might have of being good and of being a good person. He's just going to lay out a case before us, and he, and he begins with the ungodly, uh, which we will see this morning. But then in chapter 2, he immediately, he meet, immediately dives in to those who believe they are godly and righteous. And he says, you do all the same things that the ungodly do, but it's worse because you cast judgment on them and then turn around and do the same thing. So he's like, you know, you guys turn around and you then steal from your neighbor, uh, just like the ungodly do. So, so the temperature is about to be turned up here in Paul's letter, uh, and the intention is that we will realize the peril of our situation as being in a fallen and broken world, and we ourselves as perpetuating that fallenness and brokenness. There is a reason the cross is such an important symbol. It was the price Jesus paid for our sin. Our sin. Not somebody out there's sin who's, who's really wicked. No, our sin that's earned us death and judgment. So this morning we'll be looking at the wrath of God being revealed, and in that also, we see the sequence of uh, the downward spiral of depravity. So we left off last week in Romans 1, 16 through 17, where Paul's saying, uh, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, and therefore Paul's not ashamed of it, he says. Verse 17, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And now we come to verse 18. Paul continues, he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. So in the gospel, we, we find the righteousness of God revealed, it is shown, and then we see the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. And then we see the wrath of God is revealed. So the righteousness of God is shown in the life and the ministry of Christ, in his perfect and righteous life, caring and loving and ministering and preaching truth. He lived a perfect life that no other human had lived before, and since the fall were incapable of doing so. Uh, We see also the righteousness of God revealed in Jesus going to the cross on our behalf, and even asking his father to forgive the Romans who were nailing him to the cross for they did not know what they were doing. Then we see his forgiveness on the cross for the criminal next to him who was just before that reviling him, but then came to see that Jesus really was the son of God while hanging on the cross next to him. And so he says to Jesus, he turns to him, he says, "Uh, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus says to the criminal, he says, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me In paradise. So that is the righteousness of God revealed, and also the unrighteousness of man being revealed. In that, what did we do to the perfect one? We killed him, we crucified him, we crucified the truth. For Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Verse 18 again, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Well, let's have a real honest talk today about suppressing the truth and and where and how that might happen and and what that might look like and and one of the places we can turn to is in schools uh, and in government and we can go to 1963 and see the Abington School District versus uh, Shemp ruling, uh, which made the corporate reading of, of the Bible and the recitation of the Lord's Prayer unlawful in public schools. So, so boom, it's gone and never again to return. So the reading of Scripture will, n- has never returned to the schools and reciting the Lord's Prayer has never returned. So what's left? Well, there's a huge vacuum that's left to be filled by what (laughs) and and so this started in the 1960s and and the decade of the 60s and 70s um some of you guys watching can maybe fill in a little bit of those gaps and what what happened in those decades how that worked out for you um all i know is that you know I, i grew up in in the 90s going to school and and we we heard all the time and saw signs everywhere saying say no to drugs don't give in to peer pressure, say no, you know, we had the cops came by, the firemen came by, telling us, say no to drugs. Uh, there's trainings all the time. It, and why, I, I wonder, <laughs> you know, why was that such a big deal for us? Well, uh, there was a vacuum and it was filled. It was filled by something else. Uh, another pursuing of uh, uh, spiritual experiences somewhere else. And I, I suppose the question that, that students, uh, maybe should ask or do ask is, OK, why should I say no to drugs? Uh, why should I say no to uh, alcohol and, and sex? Uh, school district, please tell me. You know, and the answer is, well, it's going to mess up your life. And, and the kid will say, well, you know, I'm not happy with my life anyway. And, and the school district says, well, here's a particip- participation award. You have know, a good job. You're good. Am I good? I just lied to my mom. How, how is that good? What's the standard for good? Uh, and, and teens, we see, are, are taking their own lives like never before. Like never before we're seeing suicides. And what does the school district say? Well, don't do it. Why? Your life is precious. Why? I, I came from random chance. There's, there's really no point to this whole existence. Uh, in fact, it'd be less painful. And there'd be less suffering if I just Gave up and took my life. What? Who, who told you that? You guys told me that. <laughs> and, and life's pretty difficult. And the, the people I want to like me, they don't like me. And I don't know what to do with that. See, because we're suppressing the truth, nothing ever adds up. We can't even figure out why the answer even matters. So do you think God is pleased with that? with the truth being suppressed by us? No. And then Paul goes on, verse 19. He says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. In creation, we see God's handiwork it's it's a general revelation to all. Creation is the visible disclosure of the invisible God. Psalm nineteen one through four, we read that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge there is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world the heavens and the sky declaring the handiwork of god In the Genesis creation account, we read how God spoke the universe into existence. In John chapter 1, we read how the Word, the Word who was with God in the beginning, that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Word, the Logos, the intelligence behind all that we see. He's the mind. Materialism explains all the components that make up an object. It can explain you know, the ink from a pen you know, and, and the paper in which you're writing on. It can explain in detail everything that makes up uh, this pen and the ink and the paper in which it's written upon. But what it fails to do, what it fails to even scratch the surface of is the meaning behind the writing on the paper. That with the ink on the paper, I can communicate a meaning that far exceeds in complexity the material used. And nowhere can materialism account for the mind. And nowhere can it bring any sort of meaning to existence. John Lennox expressed this, uh, who was a professor of math- mathematics at Oxford University. I believe he's a uh, professor emeritus now. But he's an internationally renowned speaker on uh, the interface of science, philosophy, and religion. And he's, he's this great Christian apologist uh, for the rational belief in God. John Lennox, check him out. Uh, but he says of the God debate, he says, There, there are not many options, essentially just two. Either human intelligence ultimately owes its origin to mindless matter, or there's a creator. It is strange that some people claim that it is their intelligence that leads them to prefer the first to the second. So how do we account for our intelligence, for our mind? Materialism is, is the theory that says, no one plus nothing equals everything. It is the theory that says mindlessness and randomness with matter and energy, you know, that has no apparent origin, uh, when given enough time and random chance will develop into the most complex and intricate and delicate substance in the universe that is literally encoded with instructions for their functions. Life on this planet is so irreducibly complex that it is Willful ignorance to proclaim a single cell organism just poof, just, just formed on its own accord. Uh, you know, no matter how many times you randomly toss a million scrabble pieces in the air, they are not going to randomly land and sequence themselves into a work like Moby Dick. You're not going to get a, a computing operating system from rubbing together carbon for long enough with enough variables. No, there is a mind behind Moby Dick. There is a mind behind operating systems. There is a mind behind the unimaginable complexity of life that we are still baffled by to this day, that far exceeds any supercomputer we're ever going to be able to build, which is why biotech is the next frontier the idea being that we can't create anything better than, than what's already here. So let's work with this you know, outlandishly complex biology uh, that's already here and, and fabulously efficient, which we're going to say came from nothing and nowhere. Because when we say that, we can now treat it however we'd like to. We don't have to pay attention to the words or the word of the one who spoke it into existence and set the foundations and the boundaries of the earth. And beyond that, the heavens above, which we have trouble even comprehending the scope and the scale of. So, in not acknowledging the Creator, we can now get that pesky God out of our way and become our own gods in essence. Verse 19 For what could be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Verse 21 For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals. And creeping things. So instead of worshiping the Creator, they worshiped creation. Instead of waiting for Moses to return uh, with the words from God, uh, the recently freed Hebrew people decided to gather together gold jewelry from everyone and make a golden calf to worship. And that's pretty convenient if you think about it. You know, all who contributed to it now have ownership over it, and it can be a God of their own making. A God of their own minds, who won't, you know, give them words of instruction and law, but will instead be, you know, whatever they feel it should be in the moment. And, and God's like, no, <laughs> no. In this first commandment uh, that Moses brought down to them, he said, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second commandment, he says, you shall not That's a pretty big disparity that shows the love and the favor and the grace of God that he desires us to love him. And he in turn will pour out love on a thousand generations. But to reject him and worship an image is outrageously offensive to the God who formed you in your mother's womb and revealed himself to you through his creation and his word. And, and, and the third commandment, he goes on, he says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So, so we see all these commandments. Does this matter to God? Yes, it does. We talked about this a little bit last Sunday about having this loyal love of God and giving Him the glory that He is due. So because man exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, therefore, verse 24, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So how is the wrath of God revealed against all ungodliness? God says, go ahead, go ahead. See how that works out for you. He gave them over to their lusts. That has a judicial sense to it. He gave them over to their own chosen punishment that is satisfying in the short term, but causes long-term suffering. So in God's mercy, he preserves us from our baser desires, but in his wrath, he says, go ahead and hands us over to them. That's a form of God's wrath and judgment we don't often think about. But it's not the first time we see this spoken of in Scripture. In Proverbs 1, uh, verses 29 through 31, we read, Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Also the prophet Hosea writes in Chapter 4, verse 17 of Hosea, God, God proclaiming, Ephraim is joined to idols, leave him alone. God lets a people go. They eat the fruit of their own choices. Of the Pharisees, Jesus says in Matthew 15, 14, he says, let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. So back to Romans one now, we're in verse 26. For this reason, what reason? For worshiping creature rather than the creator. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Why? Again, because they did not worship God. They worship the creature rather than the creator. Verse 29, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Okay, so we get, we get this whole list here from Paul saying, this is what happens when God gives us over to dishonorable passions. And what Paul begins with here is sexual immorality, departing from nature, same sex attraction, men with men, women with women. And and we might not wanna talk about sex because it's uncomfortable, but God's word is not shy about addressing it. And and this can be, this topic can be especially difficult to talk about because of how people's identities are, are wrapped up now in sexuality. And when you identify somebody uh, when someone identifies as you know, LGBT, it, it now becomes a label uh, that is more than just a label, but who you are. It's your identity. So to talk about sexual ethics now seems far more personal than ever before because now it sounds like a personal attack on someone's very identity. And we're not out to attack anybody. We desire that all would be saved because God has something better for us, something better for you. He loves us, and while we were yet in our sin, he loves us, He is calling us to himself. So he loves us right where we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. He has something better, because we all fall short of the glory of God. That is Paul's ultimate point from chapters one to three, saying, man, we all fall short of the glory of God. So we want to reach people with the good news that they are more than just their bodies that are decaying and Dying, that they're loved by God, and God has something better for them. He has eternal salvation and new life, new life in Christ, meaningful and purposeful life. So, can I propose to you this morning that people are far more than sexual creatures and objects? See, we've elevated sex to the point where it is wicked to refrain from sex and damaging to tell people to refrain from sex. Abstinence is is now mocked and laughed at. But in Scripture, we get a very different picture. Elsewhere, Paul says that every other sin is outside the body. But sex is inside our body as the two become one flesh. So flee from sexual immorality, which, by the way, includes any heterosexual sex outside of marriage. In fact, Paul says it's better not to marry and to remain single and celibate, celibate like himself for life. And, and, oh, by the way, also like Jesus. <laughs> but if you burn with passion, uh, Paul writes, it's better to get married so you're not living in sin. The Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection, challenged Jesus with a hypothetical. And, and Jesus just tears it apart. Uh, they said, a woman marries a man who dies. Uh, so according to the law of Moses, she marries his brother, if he has one. And then his brother dies. Uh, and then this repeats five more times, uh, until all of the brothers die, and then she finally dies. And then they ask Jesus, which of the seven brothers will be married to this woman in the resurrection? And, and they thought they were, they were pretty clever here, pointing out a contradiction in the resurrection. Man, the law requires her to be married to the brother, and they all die, you know, and there's seven of them. Which one's she going to be married to? And Jesus is like, you guys are quite wrong, for you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But concerning the dead rising, have you not read about the burning bush in the book of Moses? How God told him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. So we are not, in the end, sexual creatures. We're made to be in union with God, to be like the angels, Jesus says. So when Jesus returns, he's returning as the bridegroom to gather us, his bride, to be with him. The only marriage in heaven is between us and Christ. And he calls us as as his bride, the church, to be pure. And that, that may seem strange to us. So we need to get a bigger view of God and God's love and the ultimate, beautiful, euphoric eternity that awaits us. We think sex is like way up here and, and, and nothing can compare with it. So, so don't touch it. Don't mess with it, man. Don't try to tell me, you know, it's not good, you know, to have sex in these different ways. Um, and, and, and we need to get a bigger view of what God has for us as his creatures. It's like, it's like right now, we're, we're, we see dimly right now. You know, Paul kind of talked about this. He's like, man, we see dimly as, as though in the mirror. Uh, but then, then when we are, are with God in heaven, we'll see face to face. We'll see in full. And, and at that time, it will be at least as dramatic a change in us as from going from adolescence to adulthood of ceasing to think and reason like a child, to truly becoming grown-ups in Christ Jesus. We're not there yet. So, so now requires a level of trust. As a child, you know, should trust their parents when they tell them, hey, look both ways before you cross the street. Right? Don't run out because you feel like it. You, you see, your ball rolls out in the street. You really, you really want it. to just run out without, you know, checking both ways, without taking those extra precautions of your parent. And it's, it could end up getting you killed. So, so we need to, to stop thinking like like children, like like toddlers, you know, who think you know the best thing in the world is, is Teletubbies. Okay, uh, you know, we need to get a bigger view of of God and a smaller view of ourselves. Right? We we're we're not the end all be all. God has something greater in store for us. So we need to live in humility and hope now of that future hope of what He has. In store for us. <clears throat> and the same way, we gotta approach God's word with humility as well, as it has authority over us and has good instruction for us. And it has strong views of sex and marriage, and it's nothing to be ashamed of because sex is like fire. I mean, it really is. And that's why, you know, there are restraints and constraints we must put on it, you know, in our lives. Uh, There are safety tips for fire because it can be so destructive. And we need to keep the fire in the fireplace, that designated spot where when kept in the stove, you know, from there, and when it's stoked and tended, man, it's able to give warmth to the whole house. That is the beauty and security of sex being treated as a powerful force that can be wildly destructive if given full vent to. We in California know better than most the destructive power of uh, a small flame that it can cause when ignited where it's not supposed to be and where there's plenty of fuel for the fire and it can become enormously destructive and spiral out of control, destroying beauty and years of tree growth and years of your life spent building a home and making it a place for your family to grow up in and grow old and together. And in a single night, a fire lit outside the fireplace, the proper place for it, can burn it all down. So you get the picture. We don't have to look far in our culture to see fires burning down families and destroying relationships And marriage. That's why God has a place for sex. And sex outside of the committed marriage between one man and one woman can destroy families, physical bodies with disease, and and it can destroy social fabric. When we rebel against this, it's trading, you know, temporary fulfilled desires for long-term suffering. So scripture would urge us to take seriously the protective boundaries God put around sex. For moral law limits human pleasure in the short term uh, but prevents great suffering in the long term and also maximizes human flourishing in the long term as well. And social scientists have studied this and shown it to be true that as soon as societies dive into, you know, sexual liberation and freedom, it takes three generations and then that society will completely crumble and or they'll be conquered by another society. And the research is pretty absolute on this. Uh, look up Unwin's and uh, Eberstadt's research. Uh, they studied 86 societies in depth that this happened to, and it's pretty great empirical evidence uh, to back up the wisdom of God. God saying, "This is how to live wisely in this world. This is how to live morally and rightly before Me, and it leads to flourishing." So enough about sex, because Paul also writes, he goes on about a lot of other, other things than just that, but that's the hot topic button, you know. Uh, he, he goes on in verse 29, he says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness. Okay, so, so you ever in your heart wanted what somebody else had? You know, a job, you know, a home, a spouse. Okay, you, you, you just coveted that in your heart. He goes on, he says, malice. Just so They're full of envy, murder, strife. Wouldn't it be great if we never caused strife again in our relationships? Man, I'd be really happy if I, if I never caused any strife again uh, in my relationships. I, I doubt that I'm going to be capable of doing that. But, but man, what a beautiful community that would be if none of us caused any strife anymore in our relationships. Uh, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit maliciousness, there are gossips, man, we, we eat up those tabloids, man, like it's our last meal on this earth, man, we love the, the gossip section, there are gossips, slanderers, okay, you ever, you ever slander someone, you've spoken bad about them to hurt them, or their reputation, maybe help your reputation, Help you, you know, improve in standing. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful. So, haters of God, but can't get enough of themselves, okay? Uh, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, then not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Man aren't you guys thankful for the gospel? Aren't you guys thankful for the gospel? After after reading this, there's not one of us here saying, I hope that, you know, I've got it all together. You know, I'm, I'm good. No, we should be realizing why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation to all who believe. It does not instantly make us perfect. So that we no longer do these things. But it delivers us from them so we're no longer slaves to them. They no longer have a hold over us. We begin that journey with God of being transformed and made new. So what are the steps that Paul lays out that lead to this devolving of culture? Well, number one, as we kind of summarize this passage, number one, uh, we suppress the truth of God. And then number two, We ignore God who has revealed himself in creation. We ignored his law written on our hearts. And because of this, our hearts have been darkened. And number three, we made our own gods to worship them instead. And then number four, uh, because we exchanged the truth of God for a lie and we did not see fit to acknowledge God, we see three times beginning in verse 24, therefore God gave them up. And then verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up. And verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. It is repeated three times. Three times our ungrateful and prideful hearts are put on display. And then with uncomfortable accuracy, Paul describes what being given over to our desires looks like. It looks like our God is our stomach. And therefore we glory in our shame. It looks like, you know, we talked about this the other week. It it looks like the great King Nebuchadnezzar walking on all fours for seven years, eating grass like an ox, you know, like a beast in the field because of his arrogance. So God, in his judgment, allowed Nebuchadnezzar to see what his arrogance looked like carried out. He was a beast, unable to acknowledge his creator. And then after seven years, he finally looked up and praised God and was restored by God. God is calling us to humble ourselves before him, just like he called Nebuchadnezzar to. We see this repeated three times. Therefore, God gave them up. When we're ungrateful and refuse to acknowledge God, then wickedness and ungodliness flourish. It flourishes in our lives and in culture. Even even we end up promoting and celebrating what we know leads to death. So what do we do with this? What's what's the solution here? Well, the solution is, is not to use this as ammo to to beat people over the head uh, with scripture. Uh, The solution is, is not to get caught up in political legislation. The solution for us is to introduce everyone to Jesus. That's the solution. Introduce them to the one who can truly save them. Introduce them to the power of the gospel, which is the power of salvation. And don't miss this main thing that leads individuals and, and cultures down this path. It is convoluting worship. So we worship the creation, the creature, rather than the creator, and that's idolatry. That's idolatry. And our day, idolatry, you know, there, there are many people who you still have little statues that they, they worship and bow down to, but the big trend is humanism. It's humanism, and it's invading the church as well. The deification of self, you know, the, the word faith movement, you know, Kenneth Copeland, if you, you heard of him, you know, saying, man, you're a li- you're, you're little God, you're a God, you know, and, and man, that's blasphemy. Uh, and that that's also shows up in the New Age movement, the God self, right? right the inner divine. And, and that also shows up in Mormonism, right? You'll become a God if, if you do the right things, live the way, right way, work hard enough, you know, even God the Father, began as a man, you know, Jesus was a man, but then he became a God because of how he lived and what he did, right? uh, That's, you know, a uh, secular humanistic movement, right? You're the highest being there. There is no, you know, God, you are the divine, you're the highest being. Uh, so you, know, you have the ability to shape your reality. So to deny yourself anything, satisfaction is wicked, This stems from the desire to set ourselves above God that we see right from the very beginning in the garden where they listened to the deceptive serpent who told them that they would be like God if they ate of the fruit. So in an effort to be their own God, to have their own way, they ate of the fruit and then death and decay entered the world. And now uh, C.S. Lewis says, There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires it joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find those who knock, it is opened. Today, today, you guys, salvation is available to everyone, to all who believe. It's the power of the gospel, by the work of Christ. So don't wait till tomorrow, don't wait till later to get right with God. Today is a day of salvation. And for those who believe, I hope you know today we can demonstrate that the gospel is good news. Man, it's good news. It's the most freeing news that the past no longer has a grip on us. We are forgiven. The work is finished. So be happy in Christ today. Take joy in him and in his salvation, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Amen and amen. Let's pray. God, we again thank you and we praise you for your word. Lord, would you go before us this week? Lord, would we see the wisdom of your word and seek to live rightly before you in our lives? Would you give us the strength to do so? Lord, would you give us the strength to speak the truth in love? Lord, would you fill us with your joy of of your salvation and the hope that we have? May we be a people of love and of joy and those who are welcoming and those who can be a great demonstration of the freedom it is to live in Christ, to have that hope, to have that meaning in our lives. So God, we thank you um, that you've given us your word. Uh, We thank you that we can know you through it. And Lord, would you just make yourself more and more uh, visible to us and known to us throughout this week. With each breath that we take, may we glorify your name and give gratitude to you. Lord, we're so thankful. We're so thankful that you made us, you shaped us, that you love us, that you call us to yourself. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.